Thank you, Brian, for preparing our hearts as we read God's Word and the text that we're going to be focusing on today. Uh, we have been uh, going through this journey in the book of Philippians for quite some time, and uh, I promise we will get over that in, in a couple more series. Uh, but first, uh, I do want to just encourage everybody that as we are preparing our hearts for the message to be mindful of how the gospel message can touch and impact the lives of people around the world. In this passage that we're going to be talking about, uh, we will see the heart of Paul, and I hope that his heart will be reflective of what we need to be as Christians. I want to first begin with an illustration that I heard many, many years ago. Many of you are familiar with Alexander the Great. He was one of the greatest military generals who ever lived during this time. And he conquered almost the entire world with his vast army. One night during that campaign, he, he couldn't sleep. He was restless and decided to take a walk outside of his tent. And lo and behold, he sees a soldier sleeping on duty, something that was obviously a severe, okay, action. In many cases, a soldier that was found on guard duty, and he, he was supposed to be on guard duty, but he slept, a serious offense would take place, and the penalty on occasion would be even death. The commanding officer sometimes would get kerosene, pour it on a soldier who was asleep, and light him up. I hope that would probably keep us up, right? And we wouldn't be able to sleep, right? But there was a message, there was an important lesson to be taught. That when you were protecting the lives of your soldiers, your fellow soldiers, and your army and your people, that you were to be on guard. And you were to care for those who are defenseless. So Alexander begins to walk, approaches the man, and, and as he's approaching the man... The soldier recognizes who's coming toward him, and, and he's fearing for his life. What is he going to happen to me, he says. Now, Alexander says, do you know the penalty for falling asleep on guard duty, soldier? Y y y yes, sir, he, the soldier did it in a quivering voice, afraid of his life. Soldier, what is your name, Alexander the Great asked him. Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great repeated the question again, what is your name? My name is Alexander, sir, the soldier repeated. A third time and more loudly, Alexander, frustrated, is asking the man, soldier, what is your name? Emphasizing. And he wanted to think about the name that he was carrying. A third time, the soldier meekly said, my name is Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great then looked at his eyes and he said, Soldier, with intensity, he asked him, Either change your name or change your conduct. Change your name or either change your conduct. I share that illustration with you because. When I heard it many, many years ago, it really made me think of my Christian life 
And as Christians, we carry a very important name. Are we living up to that name? Let me ask you a question. Who are you following in your life? If you call yourself a Christian, can others see Christ through you? Are you making it a goal in your life to imitate Christ in all the areas of your life? For Paul, his goal in life was to be like Christ. His resume and his earthly accomplishments, all the things that he achieved in life meant nothing to him. He desired, as his ultimate goal, to know Christ. Our ultimate goal should be the same. Today we will continue to look at this idea of finding joy, finding joy in Christian living. Now, one of the repeated themes that we see in the letter to the Philippians is this theme of joy. Okay, earlier in chapters 2 and 3, uh, Paul talked about being joyful. Rejoice in the Lord, he said. He uses the example of Christ to motivate the believers to live a sanctified life, set apart for the world, and to have the same attitude of humility that Christ had. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 3 of Philippians. In the very first verse of chapter 3, Paul commands believers to rejoice in the Lord. It's important for us as we live this life in this world to find joy, not on the things that surround us, but the one that we follow. Last time we met, we focused on chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Here, Paul warned about the false teachers who were trying to lead the Philippian believers astray. This religious group was teaching them that in order for them to be saved, they had to be circumcised and they had to keep the law, the Jewish law, in order to become Christian. And Paul, he urged them not to follow their teachings, not to follow their practices. In chapter 3, verses 14 to 16, notice what Paul challenges them with. Here's what he says. I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to leave the things of the world behind, and I'm going to press toward that goal. He challenges the Philippians to take this very same approach in life. He exhorts them to live by different set of standards. Well, this brings us to our first point in our outline. How do we find joy in Christian living? And fill out the blanks on your, uh, on your outline in your bulletin program. Okay, First, by following the example of godly individuals. By following the example of God individuals. Early in the letter, in chapter 2, verses 19 to 30, we were introduced. Paul told us about two very important godly men. Timothy, okay, who played an important role in his ministry and in his life. And the other was the leader of the Philippian believers, Epaphroditus. Now here, he mentions the same idea as a continuation from Chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Notice what he states in verses 15 to 16 in chapter 3. He says, 
Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, talking to believers here, as many as are set apart, as many as are holy and complete, let us, therefore, have what? What's the next thing? This attitude. Let us have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. If we're not on the same page, and you have a different approach in life as a Christian, God is going to reveal you. He's going to correct you of that attitude. And here's the challenge that he says. God will reveal that to you, and however, let us keep living by the same standards to which we have attained. In other words, Paul is saying we need to live differently than the world. Our attitude and our approach in life should be completely different. They are to follow the example of Paul and other believers, and then not to follow the worldly standards of those who will lead them astray. And notice what Paul says. He says, imitate me. Imitate me. Now, to follow or to imitate somebody means to mimic them. It's to go or to come after an individual. Now, that's important for us as believers because we need examples in our lives to follow. Now, when I was a young child, and I grew up in Albania. I can go to the next slide, Steve. I loved watching European soccer. Okay, now I'm dating myself a little bit here. Okay, 1988 is quite a ways, right? Okay, but growing up, growing up in Albania, I loved watching soccer. One of my favorite soccer players was Marco van Basten. Okay, he's the guy that's holding the trophy. And I wanted to be like this guy. I mean, think like any other kid who's looking at their icon, the person that they want to become one day. And I loved the Dutch team. They had one of the best teams that year. They won the uh, European Cup. And I imitated his every move. I studied his every move. I tried to play exactly the way that he played. All of that, and I still fell short. Just like any other kid, my dream was to be a professional soccer player. Uh, but God has a sense of humor, right? He has other plans for our lives. You know, having big dreams, there's nothing wrong with having big dreams. But do those dreams align with God's plan? Are you imitating? Are you following somebody that's going to lead you to Christ or somebody that's going to lead you away from Christ? Now, the next pictures that I have on the screen, just kind of share a little bit of my life story, is pictures that I grew up in Albania. Now, the ones on top is, that was the orphanage that I grew up in, the background, the building back there. You see a couple of tall guys, okay? They were the missionary team, missionary students, who came to Albania one summer and shared the good news of the gospel with me. Their names were Jeremy, Peter, and David. Okay, on, on the corner side, can you guys see me on the corner side? I'm the, I'm the kid that's like on the left corner over here. All right. But we loved soccer, and these missionary students loved soccer. They were a part of a college team who played soccer here in the States. So that was a quick connection right there. And God brought that connection of us being interested in something for us to learn and hear about the gospel. And since I fell with the, the love of the game, the, the, uh, I fell in love with soccer. I, I played in high school and college. I coached uh, later on in life. But that's not my plan, and that's not my purpose in life. 
That's not my mission, to just play and have fun on a field. Our goal as Christians is to imitate people who are going to get us closer to Christ. You can go to the next slide. It's important for Paul that the believers in Philippi know who they're following, know who they're imitating. And the type of imitation that he's talking about is not the type of imitation that's external. What I was doing was just externally mimicking and focusing on a player. I didn't know much about their life, their personal story, their character. Paul wants the Christian believers to imitate his Christian conduct. That's why he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He wants the believers to follow his actions, his words, and his attitudes. How many of us can actually say this? How many of us can actually say to somebody, follow me as I follow Christ? I mean, that's, that would require that you're, you're at the top of your game, that you're close to perfect. Paul was trying to point people to Jesus. It's important for us to understand that Paul here, is, he's not boasting about himself. He's not boasting about his character. Earlier in the chapter, he, told, he tells us that I have not achieved perfection. I have not attained it yet. I'm working toward that. So it's important for us to understand that Paul, as a sinner, is telling people, follow me because my focus, my central focus is Christ. And he exhorts them. He desires for them to model their lives after him. You know, as a child of God, you and I must carry the name of Christ with boldness. We must walk with Jesus daily. And new and growing believers need to see and follow the example of those who are pointing people not to themselves, but are pointing people to Jesus. In a world that is constantly watching, we as believers need to set the example so that we can be maturing in our spiritual walk with Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says this. He instructed believers in this way. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, don't forget that second part. Be imitators of God as beloved children, which implies that there is a relationship, a close relationship. Father-child relationship in this process of maturity. In this process of imitating and following God. The words for imitate in the Greek language that are used in the New Testament are, are a couple of words that indicate a positive emotional response of wanting to follow in someone's footsteps. Do you have that positive emotional response of wanting to follow Christ? Just like a child desires to imitate his or her parents, we as believers need to imitate our heavenly Father. Now, there's about seven times, and you can look on the screen. You don't have to write all of them down, but you can maybe jot down the references if you have time. There's seven times in the New Testament we see the same idea of 
imitation, following. And here's what, what, what we find out. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says, be imitators of me. In 1 Corinthians, it says, be imitators of me again, reminding them that, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. In Ephesians, it says, be imitators of God. In 1 Thessalonians, be imitators of us and of the Lord. Be imitators of the churches of God. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. We need to have examples in our lives to imitate and to follow, but they need to be godly examples who are guiding us to Christ daily. It's tough to do that in this world, is it? It's tough to look at the world where we are introduced to influencers and YouTubers and online followers. We live in an age of self-gratification where there's so many distractions that fight for our time and our attention. There are many who are following people on social media, many who are following sports icons, seeking fame, celebrity status, wealth, all these things. Let me ask you a question. How about you? Are you following the footsteps of someone who will bring you closer to God? Closer to Jesus? See, Paul used his life experiences, his example. He used his sacrifice. He used his suffering. Remember, he's in prison during this time, and he's telling people, follow me as I follow Christ. How many of you would want to go to prison? If you, if you were to go by that, he's in prison. How many of you would want to be persecuted? Because he was persecuted for the faith. Paul says, look at my life. Look at my chains. And be ready to model them. As you look at yourself. And ask yourself this question. What kind of example am I setting as a Christian? How am I influencing my family? How am I influencing my friends? My, my siblings? Even those people who are outside my inner circle. Let me address the parents in the room, okay? Parents, those of you who have kids, how are you influencing your children? Are your kids looking up to you as a godly influence at home? You need to be that influence. As a church body here at Poolsville, are we influencing our community are we influencing one another and following Jesus faithfully? This brings me to the second point in our outline. How do we find joy again in Christian living? Number two, by not pursuing the things of this world. We will be in verses 18 and 19 in our text, okay? And here, as we are in verse 18 and 19, we see the reason why Paul exhorted the believers in this way. He says, there are many, there are too many who walk today who are enemies of the cross. There's a lot of people, non-believers in our world today, who Paul's, Paul names them, he labels them as enemies of the cross, of Christ. And believers, we need to be able to distinguish between those who are truly living for Christ and those who are not. 
Paul earlier on told, told the believers, don't follow the Judaizers. Don't follow their example. Don't follow their teachings. Okay, he uses some very descriptive words. Remember, he called them, you know, these guys, beware of them. They're like dogs. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evildoers. Beware of the false circumcision. These guys are leading you straight to hell. Now, though Paul cares about the believers and he cares for the lost, he's a straight shooter. He, he's going to say it like it is. And I think as Christians, we need to speak the truth in love. As Christians, we should be able to determine what is right and what is wrong. We need to be able to identify the spirit of truth versus the spirit of falsehood from 1 John chapter 4, verse 6. We need to measure everything to the standard God has given us in his word, the Bible. Jesus, by the way, also gives us insight on how to identify such people. See, if you can show, show the slide, next two slides. Here's what Jesus says. Okay? You will know them by their fruits. The false teachers, the prophets, all those who are non-believers. It says, by their fruit you will recognize them. There are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs. From, uh, uh, are there grapes who, excuse me. You will recognize them. Are there grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You will see them by what they produce. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Now look at these next, uh, next two examples. A couple of quotes from Paul Washer, uh, a preacher who really is very bold in, in, in preaching the word and telling it like it is. Here's what he, told, here's what he said a couple, of, uh, a couple of years ago. He said, if a person professes faith in Christ and yet falls away, or makes no progress in godliness. If that person has not made any progress in godliness, it does not mean that he lost his salvation. It reveals that he was never truly converted. He was never a follower of Jesus. He was never a believer. Next slide. It is absolutely absurd, he said, to say you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, yet not bear the fruit of Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ. If we are believers, we possess the Holy Spirit in us, and the Holy Spirit is the one that is working in our lives for us to bear the fruit of Jesus Christ. And if there's no fruit in your life, Paul is saying, you're an enemy of the cross. That's a slap in the face. We need to evaluate our life and see how we're living. Are we bearing fruit? Are we pursuing godliness? And it's the same challenge that Paul tells the Philippians. Don't follow after those guys. They're enemies of the cross. You need to follow the godly standards that we have established. Notice what Paul says about these individuals. Follow with me in verses 18 and 19. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and I tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, notice how he describes them. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. 
Paul criticizes not only the Judaizers, but he also, he's directed it to those who are self-indulgent. Those individuals who claim to be believers, but are not producing fruit, are not living by God's standards. He says, their end is destruction. Now, according to Robert P. Leitner in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, the Greek word that Paul uses here, this destruction, is actually the word apoleia in the Greek, referring to eternal separation. It's not that these guys are going to die here physically. He says they're going to be eternally separated from God's presence at Judgment Day. He describes them as people who are greedy. They serve their own desires and themselves. They're gluttonous. They're selfish. They glory in their lusts, their evil desires, their sinful practices. They don't give God the glory. They give themselves the glory. And their mindset, Paul says, is set on the worldly things. They're living for the here and now. Their mind is not on spiritual things, but self-gratification. They seek the pleasures of this world, fame, prosperity, wealth, etc. Is Paul describing us in these verses? I hope not. Is he describing you and how you're living your life? In Romans 16, 18, Paul says this regarding false teachers. He says, for such men are slaves. Pay attention to the word slaves here. They're slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but they are slaves to their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Does this sound familiar in today's world? Do we have a lot of false teachers and preachers who are smooth talkers and using flattering speech? We have churches today and preachers who are promoting themselves. They're not promoting the true gospel of Christ. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're deceiving men, said it to say. Just look at some of these mega churches. One other thing that I noticed in these two verses, in verse 18, notice, notice Paul's heart. What is Paul doing? Many walk, of whom I often told you, and tell you even weeping. You see Paul's heart for the lost. Those who rejected the true gospel. He weeps for them and he's concerned for their eternal destiny. How about you? Do you care about the lost? Do you cry for the lost? Are you empathetic to those who have not come to saving faith in Christ Jesus? I'll be honest with you. I don't always have the same approach. I don't always have the same empathy that Paul had. I fall short in weeping for those who are lost and showing compassion to those who reject and curse God. It's natural to care about our immediate family, our relatives, our closest people. But what about those, the rest of them? Our world today is filled with many, many who are non-believers, many enemies of the cross. And we need to weep and cry just like Paul did. 
the oppositions that we see, the persecutions that we see, the hatred of God and Christians that we see, and war conflicts in the schools, in universities, in social media, I mean, even in churches today. They're everywhere. And Paul is weeping for them with sincere love and care for their eternal destiny. His desire was that they would too be saved. Do we have the same attitude and the same mentality? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 44. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Just look at our world today with the conflicts that are going on. There's a lot of hatred in this people. One side, one and the other side dead or destroyed. As Christians, that should not be our mentality. Our goal is to love and pray so that many will come to know Christ and become part of his family. This brings us to our last point, number three. How do we find joy in Christian living? Well, Paul mentions that in verses 20 and 21. This is the good news, the happy news, by being heavily minded. Paul challenged the believers in Philippi to keep pressing on toward that goal, heaven, where we as Christians have our citizenship. This illustration was actually very relevant to the believers in Philippi. They were living away from Rome. They were living in a colony. However, their citizenship, their citizenship was in Rome. As citizens of Rome, they were expected to promote the interests of Rome. In the same way, brothers and sisters, as followers of Christ, as citizens of heaven, we are to promote heaven's interests here on earth and lead lives that are worthy of our heavenly citizenship. You know, March uh, 16, 2021 was, was a big day in my life. Okay, Steve, you can go to the next slide. Um, I'm originally from Albania. For those of you that don't know me, I grew up in Albania and moved to the States in 1996. Okay, you can go to the next slide. And just a couple of years ago, I became a U.S. citizen. You know, I'm, it's a great thing, right? And I'm not trying to put my focus on me. I'm just trying to make a point here, a quick connection, okay? And I lived in this, in this country for a very long time, since 96. And yet a couple of years ago, I decided, you know what? I'm going to be part of this country. I'm going to be a U.S. citizen. But you don't just become a U.S. citizen just because you want to. There are steps and procedures that you have to go through. First, you have to pass the interview. Okay, if you fail the interview, there's a big red flag on you. Okay, then you have to pass the test. You have to apply, obviously. Okay, you have to swear that you will defend and protect this country. You will abide by the Constitution. You will protect the Constitution of the United States. There's a lot of places, a lot of pieces that fall into place for you to be a U.S. citizen. And for anybody outside of the U.S., it's a dream come true. It's a dream come true for me. My wife, Sunita, also had become a U.S. citizen some years ago. But you know what? To put things into perspective, into a spiritual perspective, this citizenship is not really going to matter much to me. Our earthly citizenship does not really matter 
in the big grand scheme of things, does it? It is only temporary. It's only going to last for a while. Here's what John says in 1 John chapter 2. Look at me on the screen. We'll pick up with at the, at the bottom of the verse there. Okay? He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. The world is passing away. Look at the bottom of the verse. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We need to have a heavenly-minded perspective. Yes, it's great to be part of this country, to enjoy the freedom, to enjoy the rights, to enjoy all the things that come with being a U.S. citizen. But it's far better to be a heavenly citizen. In heaven, we will be citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Therefore, as believers, don't put away... Excuse me, don't put any significance on your nationality, on your earthly status. We belong to God's kingdom. Christ will come again, Paul says, and until he comes, we must eagerly watch for his return. Notice what Paul says here. When he comes, okay, he's going to change us. He's going to transform our body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Our body will be a spiritual, glorified, imperishable, immortal body. I'd rather have that than this body. First John chapter 3 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, meaning Jesus... We will be like him because we will see him as just as he is. So let's keep your gaze toward that which will last for eternity. Keep your gaze on Jesus, the Savior of the world. Focus on him and not on the temporary and the elemental things of this world. See, for us to become citizens of heaven, we have to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When we do that, we are born again into a new kingdom, into a new family. And by faith, we become part of God's family. We get a new citizenship, and we don't belong to the world anymore. Jesus told us that you are foreigner, foreigners, you are strangers. The world does not love you because you belong to me. It's important for us to be heavenly minded and heavily focused, and to think of our eternal destiny. Jesus put it this way. In comforting his disciples, he was getting ready to go. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, faith is the gateway for us to get to the kingdom. It's the application that you have to do in order to get to be a citizen of heaven. Jesus says, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Comforting words coming from our Savior's lips. Are you living your life with eternity in mind? Do you know for sure that your citizenship is in heaven? 
Come and talk to me. Come and talk to some of our elders, even Pastor Joel. And we would be glad to share with you what the Bible says about being part of God's kingdom. Let's pray.